Thank you. And indeed, that little song really leads us into the third and final message in this section looking at tongues as we see here in the Acts of the Apostles through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you have your Bibles, please turn to that section of Scripture, which is found in Acts chapter 2. And uh, we'll just refresh our memory, even though, of course, we have read these uh, verses together uh, a number of times during the course of the last few weeks. But we turn to Acts chapter 2, reading at verse 1, and uh, through to uh, the end of verse 13. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled saying to one another, look, uh, look at not the, all these who speak Galileans. And who is it that we hear? How is it that we hear in our own language, in what we were born with? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, they are full of new wine. So as you'll remember, uh, during the course of the last few weeks, we've looked at the context of the gift of tongues that uh, we have presented for us here in Acts chapter 2. And of course, the context that we see there is that the tongues that are demonstrated here in Acts chapter 2 absolutely bring unity because everybody is hearing everything in their own language. And I'm sure if we would have asked for a show of hands of all the different languages that people speak here in our tent this morning, we'd be amazed at the number of different languages that they are. And if you were able to hear something that was being spoken, you think to yourself, hold on a moment, this is in Mesopotamian. I'm not saying there's anyone from Mesopotamia here this morning, but just suppose supposing that was the case, you would be amazed. And we recognize that the, uh, the context of this uh, gift being presented did in fact bring great unity. If you go back to Babylon, to Babel, we discover that the gift of tongues that was brought down brought division. People were separated and divided. And yet here, it's almost as if everything that took place at Babel has been reversed And we suddenly see the gift of tongues bringing this great unity together. So that's the context that we have here. And then, of course, we discovered or we looked at the content of the gift of tongues. We read it very clearly as we've just read those verses together. What was uh, said, what was spoken? Well, we know exactly what was said and what was spoken. It was the wonders of God. What people needed to hear is what they were told, what it was that they were able to hear in the languages uh, that they were familiar with, that they had been born to. Just remember that never do spiritual gifts ever declare the wonders of man. We made that point very clear and I make it again. If anybody stands up or gives the impression or talks about the fact that they are somebody, there's a problem. 
because we're not. The message is always the glory of God that is presented. And so that's one of the tests that we're able to put together and to recognize, is this from God? Is what I'm hearing from God? Now today, we're going to close this section of Acts, and I'm looking forward to getting into the actual sermon that uh, Peter spoke of. We're going to talk about all the wonderful things that are contained in that message Um, But uh, now, today, we're going to talk about or try and look at some of the consequences of the gift of tongues as displayed here in Acts chapter 2. And I have to explain that um, because uh, we discover that tongues, of course, are referenced in uh, other places here in Acts, but also in other scriptures as well. And we need to briefly consider those, and we will do that this morning. And from these verses, I want to see that there are three main consequences that uh, were demonstrated and shown by the people here who were listening to what was taking place, who were part of what was taking place, who heard this 120 people or so uh, speaking and, uh, uh, in the way that they, that they were. But of course, look at the consequences and the application to ourselves today. So I say there are three main consequences that are shown. And we see these in verses 12 and 13 although they are clearly alluded to in verses 6 and 7 as well. Now, it could be that these are consequences that you've never really considered and thought about before. And it could be that uh, there's a bit of a surprise here for you, but I believe that this is uh, um, uh, the word that the Lord would have me bring this morning. I just want to say that I am so grateful to the Lord for um, making me have to look at this section of Scripture. Because... There are many things I've never understood about tongues. I'm being totally honest with you about this here, okay? I remember back as, uh, as a um, 15-year-old at the youth group at the church in Reading in, um, in, in the county of Berkshire in England. And uh, it was at the time when the renewal movement was taking place. And there were lots of things that were being said. We've spoken about this previously. The charismatic movement is the, uh, is the name or the word that we use. Uh, charisma is the Greek word for gifted. And uh, sometimes I wonder you know, whether I should ever use that word <laughs> in reference to myself. But the charismatic movement was, uh, was very powerful at, uh, at that time. We've seen a change perhaps that has taken place. And there is a determination, I think, to come back. Uh, to uh, scripture very very clearly but at the same time there are many things that we thank the Lord for allowing that movement to take place but I went along to a uh, a service uh, a service it was a a Saturday night and it was in the guild hall in uh, Guildford and uh, uh, it would have sat probably 5,000 people mainly young people And some of the things that took place in that service are still very much burnt on my mind. And I've always wondered, all these years, what I heard then, I couldn't make sense of. But as I've been made, and I apologize for using that term, to look at the scriptures and to see what it is that God is actually saying, what the scriptures actually say to us, I've finally been able to put... Uh, the puzzles, the puzzle pieces together into place, and I am so grateful. But here, we're going to look at these three consequences of the gift of tongues as displayed here in Acts chapter 2. And these verses contain them very clearly. Verse 12 says, they were amazed. Now you think to yourself, so is that one of the consequences? Absolutely it is. Because they were amazed what was taking place. 
So it's a very simple concept, if you like. It's that one word that is uh, presented there. It says that they were amazed. That's the very first response that the people hearing the words that were spoken, hearing the tongues, hearing the languages that were presented, and seeing and sensing and being part of what took place, they were amazed. That's the first response. And then the second response is this. The verse tells us that they were perplexed. Have you ever considered that as being a response to what was taking place? That's the second response that we have contained here. And then lastly, people in this vast crowd that were stood around, milling around, that were listening, that were talking, that were seeing what was taking place, they asked this question, what does this mean? So that's the third response that we see from them. Now, the scripture goes on and says that they asked, what does this mean? And some of them, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine to drink. Okay. So in other words, there was criticism. And this is one of the consequences of what took place here. And then you'll find earlier uh, in in the verses that they were amazed and they were marveled. That's back in verse 7. They were confused, we're told, in verse 6. Very similar things. Now when it says that they were amazed, what does it mean? Well, it means simply this, that what took place was not what they expected to happen. If you expect something to happen, you're not amazed when it does happen, am I right? Because you knew it was going to happen. You know, it's not a surprise anymore. Um, It's exciting when... Your children do well in their tests and you weren't expecting them to do so. It's amazing and you're grateful that something has changed. So they were amazed. It meant that they didn't expect what was happening. They were amazed because they didn't know what was taking place. Then it goes on and says that they were perplexed. So what does this mean? Well, it means this. If you can explain something, then you're not perplexed about it. If you can explain something, then it's not a surprise to you. There's clarity. There's understanding. And then thirdly, it's almost as if they made fun of what was taking place here. If you like, you know, these these guys have... You know, got a bit carried away. It might be before nine in the morning. They've got carried away and they've drunk too much. So they're really making fun of this situation, aren't they? And they're criticizing what has been spoken, what has happened, what is taking place here. And the reason that they criticize it is because they did not like what was going on. When people criticize us as a fellowship here in Norwich... The reason is they don't like what's taking place. They don't like what's going on because they're outside of it. Why would anyone waste time criticizing 120, 30, 40 people or whatever, meeting in a tent? Why would they waste time criticizing if there wasn't a problem to them with what's going on? So what's the problem? Well, we'll talk about it. When people go onto social media and they criticize our evangelism team for sharing the gospel, there is only one reason, and that is because they don't want to hear the gospel. 
They don't want to be confronted with the truth. They don't want to be confronted with the fact that sin is an issue in their lives. And sin needs to be dealt with. And that's the reason why there is criticism. And those three responses are very common responses that we see today when God is at work. And I have to stress that because there is church after church in our province and in our country where things are going on, but they're not the things of God. And so the imperative is, is it God's work that's taking place? Because if it's man's work that's taking place, well, the first thing you notice is the criticism reduces and vanishes completely. So that if a church panders to the carnal nature of people, what it is that people want, rather than what they need, then no one criticizes it. Because that church is now meeting the needs. You know, if you want to believe that God loves all people and will save all people and that all people will go to heaven, well, that's what people want to hear because nobody wants to hear of the fact that there is a hell. And so we just scrub it out of the scriptures. We just don't talk about it. Of course, God is a God of love. He loves the whole world. And he doesn't want anyone to perish. And the gospel is presented and we have the task of proclaiming the word of the gospel to those around us. So remember, these are the three common responses when God is at work. There is amazement. We didn't expect this. There is perplexity. We don't understand it. And there is criticism. We don't like it. Because I don't want to hear what sort of a person I really am. And these responses are right here in the chapter as we've looked at. But notice the significance. These responses open a door. And the door is opened wide because Peter is then able to stand up and we're told that in boldness he proclaims the gospel. He teaches and preaches and explains the gospel to people around. So the significance is very powerful. The responses open the door. And Peter was able to stand up and to preach and to give an explanation. You see, a spirit-filled church, a spirit-governed church, is going to be, and I'm glad you're all sitting down, is going to be a supernatural church. Do you see? There are lots of churches with people and it's not supernatural at all. But if the Spirit is at work within the hearts and the lives of the individuals that make up that church, then we are supernatural. By supernatural, I mean there will be things about the people in that church, because remember it's the people that make up the church, that cannot be explained in any other human term. That's what makes us different. There is a supernatural, a more than natural explanation as to how these people work and think. Now at this point you need to begin to think to yourself, am I supernatural in terms of what we're talking about this morning? Or am I just normal, natural? 
has a change taken place in my heart and in my life? A more than natural explanation as to how these people work and think. Their behavior is not natural to this world. And friends, it's with great joy that I can say the behavior of Norwich Baptist Church is not natural to this world. We do things that the world laughs at us about. When we put on events and so on, we don't charge people to come to those events. We invite them to come to hear the gospel because the gospel has transformed our hearts and our lives. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. And that means that we will want to share the love of Christ with those around us. So our behavior is not natural to this world. And of course, this is what gives credibility to the message that we preach. And this is what gave credibility to Peter as he stands up and as he preaches to this crowd. He stands up and he preaches and as he does, he sees people beginning to change. Because the words that are being spoken are the words of the gospel and it reaches into people's hearts and lives. And here's the thing, the greatest miracle takes place is that a heart is changed from the natural state in this world and it's translated and its citizenship is taken to heaven because the sin has been dealt with, because the faith in our trust is now, not in all the things around us, but it is in God and it is through Jesus Christ that we're able to see this amazing supernatural thing that takes place. In fact, we see it in Peter, don't we? And we've spoken of this not so long ago. Because even the chief priests and the Sadducees were told, uh, if you look at Acts chapter 4, verse 13, they couldn't understand what had happened to Peter and John. But the same thing that happened to Peter and John is the same things that happens to us. That happens to Randy over there. That's happened to me, to Chris, and to all of you. Because... It's the power of the Holy Spirit working within us. Acts chapter 4 verse 13, we read this now. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, what did they do? They marveled. There's that word again, amazement. They weren't expecting it. How could Peter, who was good at mending fishing nets, stand up and preach to this crowd of people that he did? Because they did not expect this from Peter and John. You see, a supernatural change had occurred. Peter and John were different. And as we spoke a while back, it wasn't the fact that they just simply rubbed shoulders with Jesus from time to time. It was the fact that now Jesus lived within them through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the life of Jesus was being worked out through them. And that's where this supernatural uh, understanding comes from. It's because Jesus was living in Peter through the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, if people don't see a transformation in us... If they don't see that there's something different about us, then here's the thing. They'll have no reason whatsoever to listen to a word that we have to say. Because they might as well listen to their 
their Auntie Gertie or whatever it is. Or Justin Trudeau. I hope I don't get into trouble saying that. There's no reason to listen to us. Because we're no different. Except we are different. Because we have Christ living within us. And when the church shows itself to be a place of power, when the only legitimate explanation, when people look at us and can see that the only explanation is the power of God, then here's the thing, friends. They will want to know more if they see the genuine outworking of the power of God in our lives. And by the way, always the cause is far more important to us than the effect. You know, we can look at the effects, in this case speaking in tongues, but the cause has got to be far more important to us. What is the cause? They are filled with the Holy Spirit. God is at work in their lives. That's the cause. Now the effect may be different. The fullness of the Spirit is expressed in different ways. It speaks of the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians uh, 5.20, 22 I think as being an expression of the presence of the fullness of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Let me say that list again. Love, joy, peace, patience. Are we patient with people? Do you love those that aren't very lovely? You know, the ones that are nasty to you? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness, self-control. There are other spiritual gifts that are an expression of the Holy Spirit's presence and working within us. But the point is, the cause is more important than the effect. And the cause is God is doing something here. And the church at large will only have a hearing in the world when people say, there's something going on here. There's something going on that's not normal, that defies human explanation, and I need to find out about it. Friends, unless the church of Jesus Christ is known for things that cannot be found elsewhere, I'm telling you this, it's failing in its task. If all we're known for is simply providing good education for children in this country or in different places around the world. Well, there's lots of people that can provide good education for people. If all we're known for is good social programs, providing food for people. All these things are good, by the way. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand. Helping people with accommodation. There's a great need for accommodation. You know, our, our economy is changing. And there's a whole group of people that are being left out at the moment. But if all we're known is for running social programs, if that's all we're known for, then there's no reason for people to be amazed. Because there's lots of people that can do that. Certainly not perplexed. And here's the thing. That means there would be no reason to criticize us. Friends, 
This is why we are criticized. Because there is something supernatural going on here. God is at work. Men and women, even boys and girls. Do you realize at the beginning of the service, we've got, what, one, two, three youngsters ranging from about seven to, I don't know, 10, 11? Praying for the service this morning, praying that hearts would be softened to hear the gospel. Where's the rest of you? Now that's supernatural. Because kids don't do that, naturally speaking. They're not interested. Men and women who would normally say, boys and girls who would normally say nothing, are sharing the gospel with others. Some are going out and about on the streets. That's not natural either. <coughs> Knocking on someone's door. I'm from Norwich Baptist Church. Bang. <laughs> I'm from Norwich Baptist Church. Not interested. I'm from Norwich Baptist Church, and I want to come and talk to you about the gospel. Do you know anything about the gospel? And sometimes there are people who are hurting because they've tried everything else. And they've been let down by friends and family, by the government, by everything. And the Lord brought you there supernaturally to share the gospel. You see, Norwich Baptist Church is not some sort of religious club where we all get together on a Sunday in a tent in October in Ontario, just for a laugh. <laughs> That's not what it's all about at all. We're not this sort of religious club. We don't play bingo on a Wednesday either. <laughs> we don't just come together to sing nice songs and hymns and read some encouraging words from a book of fairy tales because that's how the world now sees the Bible. There was a time when people would respect the Bible even if they weren't believers, but that's gone. And the government itself describes the scriptures as fairy tales. But as you look through the scriptures at men and women that were significant in the history of God's dealing with our world, you can only explain them in terms of God doing something. How do you explain Abraham in the Old Testament? God was doing something. How do you explain Moses? And as we've been talking to the, the children recently, how can you explain Moses? God was doing something. How do you explain David? God was doing lots and lots and lots in David's life. How do you explain Jesus? His father was doing something in his life. How do you explain Mary? God did something. How do you explain the day of Pentecost? God is doing something. How do you explain the early church and its miraculous growth? How could it possibly have grown from a group of guys locked up in an upper room to hear we are in Norwich unless God is doing something and it's supernatural that's taking place because it can't happen in any other way. Lives were being changed, communities are being transformed and the only legitimate explanation was God is doing something here. God, not man. 
And that was what the Apostle Paul explained in the first few verses of the epistle to the churches in Galatia. When Paul writes and he says, Paul an apostle, not from men nor from man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul went on to great lengths to make sure that all the believers he was writing to did not think it was himself, but that it was all about God. And incidentally, in verse 6 of Galatians 1, Paul was amazed. Now, isn't it interesting that word's there again? It's a sad situation that we have in this particular case because Paul is amazed that the Galatians were prepared to allow other teaching to come in alongside the gospel. And if you ever find yourself trying to put something else on a parity with God's word, you're out of order and you've got to stop. And Paul was amazed that that's what was happening. So here's the big question. How do we explain Norwich Baptist Church? How do our neighbors explain us? Do they even think about us? Are we significant in this town? I'm going to suggest to you that a church that is not significant or a church that is insignificant is usually insignificant because it fails to preach the gospel. Who's interested in a church that doesn't preach the gospel? What are we known for? You see, if this church can be explained in terms of its programs or in terms of its personalities or in terms of its numbers or in terms of its finances, then we're no different to anything else. And my longing is that always the explanation for this church is that God is here and that God is doing something and that lives are being changed in a way that is inexplicable apart from God. Now some of you, like me, will have read uh, some of the accounts of the Welsh Revival started around 1904-1905. And I just quote uh, one section from a report. It says this. It said, Drunkenness was immediately cut in half, and many taverns went bankrupt. Crime was so diminished that the judges were presented with white gloves, signifying that they had no cases of murder, assault, rape, or robbery, or the like to consider. The police became unemployed in many districts. Stoppages occurred in the coal mines, not due to the unpleasantness between management and workers, but because so many foul-mouthed miners had been converted and had stopped using foul language, and the pit ponies couldn't understand the instructions as to go forward and take the coal out of the pits. Because the words had changed, because the heart had changed, and because people were now not prepared to live the lives that they did before. Hardened miners took their Bibles into the pits to read during their break times. And it was said that often the miners, when they came to the service, had white streaks running down their coal-stained faces from the tears that were shed as they saw the glory of God at work in their hearts and in their lives. What was happening? It was supernatural. Was it any wonder that Wales was ready to listen Was it any wonder that politicians made their way from London down to Wales to see for themselves what was going on because they didn't believe it? Because they were amazed? They were perplexed? 
Was it any wonder that every newspaper sent a journalist to Wales to say, what in the world is going on here? And here in Jerusalem, the crowds were ready to listen. Something amazing had caught their attention. And they're ready to listen. You know, the very best preaching that there is, the most effective preaching that there is, is preaching that explains what people can see. Have you ever thought about that? Preaching that explains what people can see. When people listen to the preaching of the gospel, and in their mind, they can go to somebody they've known maybe for many years, and suddenly they say, now I understand. Because what I see in that person, I understand. It's the supernatural work of God in that person's life. Oh, that's why they're like they are, is it? That's why they're kind to me, long-suffering, patient, loving, I can now see why my friend has changed. I can see why so-and-so is different. And friends, that's why there were 3,000 who responded at the end of Peter's message on that day of Pentecost. And then within a few days, 5,000 had become believers. And it tells us in later parts of Acts chapter 2, the Lord was adding daily those who were being saved. Why was there a daily influx? Because people are saying, what's going on here? We can't explain it except for the fact that God is doing something and he is alive. And friends, don't ever let anybody try and convince you that the church is dying, that the church around the world is weaker than it was. That's not true. Yes, we might think to ourselves here in Canada, We'd love to see more people coming, more people being prepared to read the scriptures, to confess their sin, come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, of course. But the power of the church has never diminished. What has happened is that people are no longer faithful as they should be. Well, if that's the historical setting of the gift of tongues, let me talk now for just a few moments about its contemporary significance. Just briefly, outside of these three incidences in the book of Acts, and we just need to cover this, and, and during the course of our studies in Acts, we'll be coming back to this again, but uh, instances in the book of Acts. The gift of tongues is mentioned uh, in one of the epistles as well. That's 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14. And in chapter 12, Paul just simply mentions it in a list of spiritual gifts. In chapter 14, Paul explains the gift of tongues in contrast with the gift of prophecy. And as I say, we'll look at this in, in more detail uh, later as we move through Acts. And Paul says in uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 4, he says, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. It's interesting that tongues is the only spiritual gift that is spoken of as being for self-edification. All the other spiritual gifts are designed, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7, is for the profit of all. 
They're designed to build people up, to build the church up. But the gift of tongues is for self-edification. And it seems to me that the best way to describe it is as a gift that lifts the soul into a greater consciousness of the presence of God and into a deeper worship of God. And this is how Paul seems to speak of it in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now it does seem to me that the gift of tongues in 1 Corinthians 14 is different in some significant ways to the gift of tongues spoken here in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And it's really important that we look at the context of this. The Acts 2 account tells us that as they spoke, they were able to be understood by the people. But in 1 Corinthians 14, in verse 2, Paul says that the person who speaks in tongues, no one understands him because he is speaking to God. So in Acts 2, it was intelligible. In 1 Corinthians 14, he speaks of languages that are unintelligible. In Acts, they spoke to the people. In 1 Corinthians 14, it says they speak in a tongue uh, that is not spoken by man, but to God. And is not addressed to people. He's addressing God. In Acts 2, we find in verse 12, the unbelievers were amazed. It says utterly amazed. They ask what's going on here. But in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, if anyone comes in and you're speaking in tongues, let me quote from the scriptures, they will think you're out of your mind. So the tongues will not impress them. They'll think you're crazy. In Acts chapter 2, no interpreter was needed because they heard in their own language. But in verse 28 of 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says to the person who speaks in tongue, in a, in a tongue, if no interpreter is there, he should keep quiet and speak to himself and to God. Now, we haven't got time to explore all these various uh, verses and themes this morning. But it seems to me that we're talking about two differing gifts of tongues here. And it would seem to me that the 1 Corinthians 14 description is of that which is normative in contemporary experience today. It's about speaking to God. It is private primarily. And it's expression. And it is not for public consumption. Unless an interpreter is given. Notice I say interpreter, not translator. For Paul speaks of interpretation also as being a spiritual gift. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 10. Now it's true that Paul says that we are eager to desire spiritual gifts in this whole section in 1 Corinthians 12 uh, and, and 12 to 14. And in chapter 12, he lists the spiritual gifts in some order of priority because he says that in the church, God has appointed, verse 28, first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles. Also, those having the gifts of healing, those able to help others, those whose gifts are administrative, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Now, having listed the different categories and priorities, he lists first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then he goes down the list. 
And then he says in verse 31, and tongues. Tongues is actually at the end of this list. In verse 31, he says eagerly, desire the greater gifts. Now, that does not mean that tongues is unimportant. In fact, quite the opposite, because Paul himself says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. But he also says in verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 14, he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues. The person who's communicating to other people is more effective than the one who speaks in tongues, he says, it's a greater gift. And in fact, in verse 14, he says, since you're eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in the gifts that build up the church. He is saying, get gifts that build others up. And many of you know that when Paul wrote the letter to the Corinthians, he was writing to a church that had major problems taking place within it. It was a carnal church. And the first letter to Aquinas is full of corrections for distortions and divisions and wrong emphasis. So when he writes about tongues, he's actually correcting an imbalance that was evidently there in the church at Corinth. Now that's the context of it. Now this does not reduce the value of the gift of tongues in any way whatsoever, but it does put it in its perspective and its proper perspective. And in the contemporary experience of speaking in tongues, I would suggest to you that there are two primary mistakes that people make today. There's the first mistake where people say, you must speak in tongues. <laughs> and then there's the other mistake where people say, you mustn't speak in tongues. So we've got two extremes that are presented for us. And there are people on both sides even this morning, I suspect, here in this, in this tent. But I'm going to step out and say to you that I believe both of those arguments are incorrect. Simple as that. Scripture actually says you may speak in tongues. That the Spirit gives to each person just as he determines, not we determine. Scripture does not say that you must speak in tongues. The Scriptures also go on to say that it is the Spirit that gives to each person just as he determines, not as we determine. Now, seeking after spiritual gifts is basically this. It's basically seeking to be useful to the church. Speaking and seeking spiritual gifts and saying, Lord, how can I serve you? That's what's being taught here. How can I be involved in your business? That's seeking spiritual gifts. For the spiritual gifts enable us to serve him and to fulfill his business. The Spirit gives as he determines. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. So to say you must, I think, is wrong. To say you must not, I think, is also wrong. To say you may seems to be what the Scripture says as God gives it to you. Now back to Acts 2. And this is where we finish this morning. Acts 2. Acts 2 is really all about the fact that when the Holy Spirit came, God began to manifest himself in the lives of the people. 
In other words, that the life of the believer becomes a manifestation of God's life that is expressed in our character. It's expressed in our behavior. It's expressed in our spiritual gifts. And the issue is, as I said earlier, we need to be more concerned about the cause than the effect. The cause is that these men and women who surrendered themselves so completely to the Holy Spirit that he in them had the freedom and the right and the power to work through them. What was the end result? People heard about God. People were drawn to God. And friends, that must always, always be the end result. So what is our task this morning? Our task is to be available, to be obedient, to be surrendered, and then to enjoy the adventure of living in the enabling and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And that's really what the whole of the New Testament is about. And that's what this is about in Acts 2, that the life of God was manifest in the lives of people in ways that amazed and perplexed and, of course, criticized. But God was at work, and he wants to be at work in you and me. And that's why it's so important that we come to know him. And if you don't know him this morning then none of this makes sense. Because you're not supernatural. Because you're still natural. And you'll go out of here thinking to yourself, I've no idea what he was talking about. It's meaningless. Because these are supernatural things that we're talking about. Those of us who belong to the Lord Jesus, we know what it is every day to say, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And we sang the song, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Make me, melt me, mold me. Break me, fill me. The Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Is that your prayer this morning? I hope it is. And as a supernatural church, we will see supernatural things happening all over.